You're listening to Bloom in Tech with David Bloom. This podcast sponsored by Fabric Media in Venice, California. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Bloom in Tech, where we pick through the rubble left over from the collision of media, entertainment, and technology, picking through it all to find some few gems that are worth talking about. I'm your host, David Bloom. Thanks so much for listening in, and thanks as well to my sponsors who, like you, help make it all possible. Today, I want to talk about one of the hottest areas in digital media, sports. I also want to share a conversation I had recently with Al Edgington, the executive vice president of Condé Nast Entertainment Studios. He's the man who oversaw creation of the just-released Cricket Fever, a documentary series on Netflix that looks at the crazy business of Indian Premier League cricket. Cricket's one of the most watched games in the world, second only after soccer, believe it or not, and that's because half a billion Indians are simply crazy about the game. Edgington talks with me about cricket, what it means for both Netflix and Connie Nast as they try to make inroads in the vast Indian market, and why sports content in general is so attractive. It's important to note, however, that it's not just Connie Nast and Netflix jumping into sports programming in a big way. Venture capital firms are still spending money on sports sites and digital media, unlike the rest of the industry, it seems. After recent disappointments over revenue and growth at even the bluest of blue chip sites, Think Vice and BuzzFeed, among others, VCs now are betting big on sports content for their next big digital media payday. And betting's exactly the right word. One component of this gold rush is definitely the prospect of programming around widely legalized sports gambling, following a big U.S. Supreme Court decision last year. By late 2018, five states already had legalized sports gambling, and as many as 20 more are expected to consider such legislation this year. No surprise, then, that one of the recent beneficiaries of this latest gold rush was Action Network, which announced $17.5 million in Series B fundraising in late February. Action Network, as that name suggests, provides betting lines, tips, background stories, and more for gamblers looking to put money down on all kinds of sports. Here in late winter, that means bets on pro and college basketball, Europe's Champions League soccer, and even whether undersized Heisman Trophy winner Kyler Murray will be one of the NFL's top two draft picks. Gambling isn't the only appeal of these sports sites, which largely have avoided the big-dollar competition for rights to stream or broadcast live games for big leagues. But sports is the kind of gift that keeps giving. Many fast-growing sites are focused on either different sports, different levels of popular sports, or different kinds of content that isn't already locked behind an exclusive deal. Backers know that these sites are beacons for ardent fans who come directly and repeatedly for hot takes on sports they care about intensely. Importantly, that reduces the reliance too many publishers otherwise have on problematic intermediaries such as Facebook and YouTube. Overtime, for instance, claims more than 550 million views across its own site and social media each month. The company just announced it has raised $23 million from big VCs such as Andreessen Horowitz and Spark Capital. The New York media company MSG Networks and NBA stars Victor Oladipo, Carmelo Anthony, and Baron Davis, among others. The plan, wrote co-founder Dan Porter in a letter to users, is to build a next-generation sports network, moving beyond the highlight reel videos from high school and college events that the company gathers through a phalanx of 1,000 paid stringers. 
The company has recently expanded into women's basketball and also sponsors its own Fortnite esports team, whose games provide even more content as it looks to grow further. Mars Reels, which competes with Overtime for highlights from its own Stringer network, also just raised money. It took in $4.7 million from its own big-name roster, including NBA star LeBron James, singer Drake, and AT&T. And then there's the two-year-old subscription service, The Athletic, whose new fundraising round topped $40 million from investors including Comcast Ventures, The Churning Group, which formerly partnered with AT&T on Otter Media, and Courtside Entertainment Group, which belongs to Norm Pattis, who first made his name with the pioneering sports radio syndicator Westwood One. The Athletics' 300 employees include an all-star team's worth of sports journalists, including former ESPN network and newspaper notables such as David Aldridge, Jay Glazer, Ken Rosenthal, and Stuart Mandel. And then there's Bleacher Report, one of the biggest fan sites out there and now part of AT&T, whose name just keeps coming up in this conversation. Last fall, I sat down with Howard Mittman, who is now Bleacher Report CEO. He told me that uh, BR sits in an unusual place in the sports universe. Its writers cover sports and have access to game video and highlights from top leagues, thanks to AT&T, which has DirecTV with the NFL Sunday Ticket Package, and Warner Media whose TNT and TBS have the NBA. More recently, Bleacher Report launched its own streaming service. BR also has a significant social media presence, but thanks to its access to sports highlights and prominent writers, it can directly draw millions of visitors a month to its own site, cutting out that digital tax exacted by the big platforms while it retains more data about its audiences. Mittman said to me, I don't pretend that we have their scale or the capabilities, frankly, but I do think we sit in this interesting, messy middle space that allows us the connectivity that you get and the brand trust that you get as a premium publisher, but with the data and direct connection that you get from being a platform. And so when we think about this world, we think about it differently than either the platforms do or the premium publishers do, because we're kind of straddling both lines. Mittman's team can pull from a vast pool of data thanks to all those other corporate cousins in the AT&T universe, with big distribution audiences, live TV rights, and lots more customer information and brand relationships. All that will prove even more valuable as legal gambling becomes more widely available nationally, he told me. I'll be interested to see how Bleacher Report evolves in coming months. It was just moved over under Jeff Zucker, the head of CNN, who has been given an expanded empire in a, this massive restructuring that happened this week at AT&T's WarnerMedia operations. Zucker will now be over both news and sports, including Bleacher Report, including Turner Sports, and he'll be um, doing some, I think, interesting stuff. Zucker's background is one of turning things upside down. He uh, revamped the Today Show when he was at NBC uh, to great success. He was much less successful as the head of NBC in trying to change our late-night viewing habits. And eventually, when Comcast bought NBC, he departed. He later worked with old pal Katie Couric on a show at ABC. That didn't work out. And he hopped over to CNN, where he did revive the news channel's fortunes quite a bit. It's now uh, back up in the ratings, and uh, he's been rewarded with a much larger empire as chairman of news and sports. I call him the king of live for AT&T, and I think that's a pretty important position to be in. Hours after Zucker's new job was formally announced, he uh, talked with Variety and let it be known that AT&T and WarnerMedia would be 
very much in the game for more sports rights going forward. He said, quote, we will certainly continue to be a significant player in the sports rights arena. Warner Media will continue to be aggressive when appropriate and strategic. I think sports rights are the sort of thing that can be very strategic for a big company like this trying to fend off other uh, major competitors, deep-pocketed competitors like Disney, like Facebook, so on and so forth. See what happens with Amazon. They've already done some streaming of NFL games and more. Fox is clearly focused on the live space. What's left of Fox after it sells off most of its operation to Disney will be news and sports. So they'll be a direct competitor for them. Beyond all that, he'll also have a connection overseeing some of the other AT&T operations. AT&T and WMEICM have an, a joint esports initiative, for instance, and they also share broadcast rights with CBS for the NCAA's Final Four Basketball Championship, a billion-dollar franchise of its own. At minimum, you have to think that they'll be pushing for streaming and mobile rights as those come up as well as possible broadcast video or whatever it's going to look like in the next few years. Zucker's new gig will give him the chance to revamp the sports landscape with AT&T's billions of dollars, vast audience reach, multiple delivery platforms, and boundless ambition. It should be a most interesting time in the sports world. Anyway, hang on for a moment for a word from our sponsor, and then we'll be back for a conversation about cricket, Netflix, and India with Condé Nast Entertainment Studios EVP, Al Edgington. And we're back. Here's my talk with Al Edgington. I'm fascinated by Condé Nast, known for such great magazines as Wired, Vogue, Vanity Fair, and The New Yorker. Over the past few years, the company's been transforming itself, creating more video programming and online presence on its own and other platforms. Al talks about all that and more. Give it a listen. I'm guessing that, uh, given your accent, you actually know the rules of cricket, which I find uh, Well, it's funny you should say that. Yes, I, I, I grew up playing cricket, and... Uh, I am actually a, a left arm round the wicket. A left arm round the wicket. See, this is where it gets a little opaque for me, even as somebody who can appreciate from afar and with some puzzlement uh, cricket, um, that uh, left arm, there's, there's a whole universe, and, and it's in every sport. And I've been around a lot of sports and played a number of them and, and all that. But I, I just think it's very interesting that you guys have gotten into this. And I am aware that cricket keeps popping up as an opportunity for sports programming from a lot of the, the channels out there that are trying to get into sports in one way or another. And they keep talking about things like cricket. And um, um, I'm also aware of the IPL when it splashed out several years ago, I guess when it first launched, it was quite, quite something new because there was all of a sudden a billion dollar brand, right? I mean, it kind of emerged out of nothing with a different kind of this 2020 is the is the version of the game that they play this much speeded up version is that right yeah i mean essentially the you know old fashioned cricket was a five day game and no one cared whether you you know won lost or drew and i personally think it was invented for people to pass the time while they were sitting in far flung parts of the empire 
Uh, that's, then, that's a good guess, you know, I think. <laughs> like, what else are you going to do in the Raj, right? I mean, right, like, exa- okay. exactly. You know, drink gin and tonics and watch men yeah. stand around in white suits. So exactly. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, in India, it is it is absolutely you know part of everyone's DNA. And when they put together the IPL, they realised that in order to keep people interested and show you know be able to get people to come and watch a game after work, they needed to cut it to you know, three hours or whatever it takes. And so, the, the, you know, the 2020 game actually originated in Australia in the late late 70s or early 80s with a guy called Kerry Packer. And uh, the IPL was invented to turn five-day cricket into three-day cricket and to make it unbelievably commercial and popular. Hmm. And now 500 million people watch that game. Hmm. Um which is absolutely astonishing. And I mean, right. the, the, the World Cup is happening in England and Wales this year, and it's not 2020, it's actually full one day, but they expect a third of the population of the planet to watch that tournament. And Americans have no idea. I actually uh, saw in a park a, a young man who probably was Indian, just sort of guessing his appearance, trying to teach his son how to play cricket. So that was sort of entertaining here in Santa Monica. But <laughs> we have a lot of Folks from different parts of the former empire uh, that uh, find the weather here more commodious than wherever they came from. So here they are. Uh, but it's, I mean, if uh, you it's... if you wander over to the valley to a place called Woodley Park, any Saturday you'll find something like 20 teams playing cricket, and they're all Sri Lankan, Pakistani, Indian, mm-hmm. English, Australian, South African. I mean, it. Right. And I believe in New York State there are 30,000 people who play cricket. Wow. So it's, uh, it's you know secret. Not this time of year. <laughs> They're not playing at this <laughs> yeah. time of year. That is true. So well, funny where, enough, where did that Ka- ball go? <laughs> well, Akash Ambani got married on Saturday in St. Moritz in Switzerland, and they had a game of cricket in the snow with a with a bright orange ball. So you can see that wherever the Indians go, they take their bat and ball with them. There you go. That's fascinating. So so there's there's some presence here, at least in some corners of, of the United States, but you all with Netflix are clearly shooting for a much broader global audience with this. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, Netflix had said to us that they, you know, did we, they, they were looking to do some Indian programming and did we know anyone who played cricket? And obviously, uh, you know, my accent helped and uh, off <laughs> we went and I, I have worked a lot in India, and uh, as a as a business, Condé Nast is trying, you know, it's becoming more global and more one company. And yeah. we are certainly, you know, we we have made quite an aggressive push to try and film in all sorts of countries around the world. And when Netflix were looking for an Indian show, we we gave them exactly what they were looking for. And obviously, the challenge was to try and make it appeal to. You know, people like you who know a little bit about cricket, but not, you know, not the actual incredibly complicated rules. And also to appeal to an Indian audience so that you didn't patronize them and have to explain what a googly is. So, I mean, you know, we, we think that we have hit a very, I mean, we think it appeals very broadly to, to, you know, every man because it's about triumph and disaster. It's about, you know, winning and losing and what it's like to be have this pressure of performing in front of 500 million people. Uh, you know, a lot of the players come from, you know, the absolute 
you know, they, these are kids who grew up in abject poverty. And anywhere you go in India, you'll find, you know, people everywhere playing cricket and they dream of becoming the, the superstars. So, you, you know, we, we wanted to try and weave as much of that into the fabric of this series as we possibly could. But at the same time, not, not lose the fact that it is about this sport that effectively unites a country where there are 170 odd languages. And, you know, if you're, if you go to Chennai in the southeast, you are as you know you and I are as much of a foreigner as someone from Mumbai in the northwest because they're, they're, they're you know different languages, different religions, different everything. But the one thing that sort of you know combines everyone in India is cricket. There are two national languages, twenty-three regional languages in India, I believe, and goodness knows if there are how many others that might be spoken by some small group. It's a vast, vast place. They call it a subcontinent for a reason. But yes. cricket, as you say, is uh, beloved from uh, uh, the far east of this country to to the the deserts of the far west, and and so the hope is that you can translate a bit of this for an audience, a Western audience, but also hold and entrance those folks. It's a little bit like the the, the NFL shows we've seen on what HBO in the last few years and a couple of other outlets, I suppose, this is something like that, but in the cricket world, is that fair to say? Yeah, I think, I think it is fair to say. I mean, I think we're trying to, you know, we, the things that we also have is one of the reasons why we wanted to film with Mumbai Indians is because they are owned by the Ambani family and the Indian populace is absolutely fascinated by the Ambani's because they're generally, you know, they're very secretive and they're very, you know, they're very, their outward facing sort of publicity is, is about education for all and, you know, is, is trying to make India a better place. But as a family, they're very private and, you know, they were incredibly generous to us in opening their doors to their sports team, which is run by Akash, who is the son, and Nita, who is the, you know, the Mukesh Ambani's wife. So it's very personal to them. And they let us into their, their home, which is, you know, is widely publicized as the most expensive private home in the, on the planet. So, you know, I, I think I heard about that. It's like yeah. crazy, multiple, multiple, multiple stories and everything else. It's yeah, it's a, I mean, it's a two it's it's a two billion dollar home in the middle of Mumbai, and it has something like forty seven stories and six hundred and fifty permanent staff, and they've never allowed cameras in there, and we were the first people to go in with cameras, and I mean, they often have team bonding exercises where they basically have a treasure hunt all through the house, and ah. I've been to that house, and it's quite unusual, and you know, there are rumours. I mean, I know there are football pitches and cricket pitches inside, and there's garaging for you know 300 cars and so on and so forth, but they're very, you know, they were very, very generous to us, and they let us go and see you know, them, how, how they build a team. And we spent a lot of time with the Ambarnis and with all of the, the players. And, you know, the, the result being that you know that that is going to hook an Indian audience because they've never seen the players in this light before. They've they, Or the family. You know, they've only ever seen any of, you know, Rohit Sharma or uh, Jasper Bumrah, who are two of the great Indian cricketers. They've only ever seen them after games say, you know, I'm... Well, we obviously won or we lost, and you see that sort of media, 
you know, media trained 20 second sound bite. But what we have in this, in this series is actually we've gone back to their houses and we took Rohit Sharma back to where he first picked up a cricket bat when he was a small child. And, you know, he gets out of his, of his Mercedes and walks onto the pitch and he's mobbed by 15,000 people. And then it's like, oh my God, I've caused chaos. And you get a very human side of these people in the most, you know, in a way that the Indians have never seen. Like this programming doesn't exist in, in, really? you know, over in the subcontinent yet. No, it's, you know, they, they are still, I mean, India and Mexico are very similar in their programming tastes in that currently it's soap opera and sport and there's no, you know, there's no real documentary yet. There's no, they're just, you know, with the advent of Netflix and others, they're just beginning to understand and to want to consume doc. And, you know, we are pretty, well, we're not pretty much, we are the first company to have gone in there to make this kind of programming. And I think, you know, from an audience, from an Indian audience point of view, it's fascinating because it's not in the old, you know, 10 years ago, yeah, 10, 20 years ago in India, it, it's a very family is everything to the Indians and everyone would go and sit with their family and they'd watch Indian soap operas and Bollywood movies and that was it. And now that, you know, all of the streamers and Facebook and Google and everyone else has arrived in there, there is a growing Indian middle class. And I believe the number is there are 400 million millennials in India and they want yeah. something different to what their parents want. And we are the first company to be in there to go and actually, you know, give them this, which is why we're very excited that, you know, we are, we have now completed and we're looking forward to seeing how they, uh, you know, how they react to it. We're very grateful to Netflix for being, you know, a fantastic partner and giving us the chance to do it. Now, I, I, the number I always mention to people is that there is a, that India has a larger middle class than Americans have citizens. We are 330 million or something like that. And that's about the size of the Indian middle class. Now they have 700 million or 800 million other folks that are not in the middle class. And that's a challenge for them, but there's a gigantic opportunity there as the country opens up a little bit to broader investment and, and other things. So is this the first programming of any kind that Condé Nast has done with an Indian flair or connection? I mean, this is our first series this is our first international series that we're doing. Okay. It's also, we have, we actually have been, I mean, I went to India probably four times last year and I sat with a lot of different people. We have, we are in, we're currently negotiating on another series that I'd love to tell you about, but I'd hate it to fall over. So, <laughs> you know, we're negotiating for another series about another Indian series and we've got a whole load of other We've got some other discussions that are ongoing about Condé Nast and uh, partnerships in India. So we are very keen to expand our reach over there and also to you know deliver something that that those 400 million middle class Indians now want. When I first went to India in probably late 80s, early 90s, and there was no middle class and like any or there was a tiny tiny middle class like any you know developing society you generally have incredibly rich and incredibly poor and then there's a period in the middle where the middle class grows and then it becomes developed and you know india in 20 years is it's impossible to it you wouldn't believe it's the same place even in the most rural parts of it it has changed beyond recognition and you know a lot of people's impression of that country is 
is so far off the mark. I mean, we, my partner here at Condé Nast, Joe Labraccio, and I absolutely love India and have spent, we were, we met in Rajasthan when I was a producer on The Amazing Race and, you know, have always tried to get back there because there's such a brilliant opportunity. And as I say, there's, you know, as far as we are aware, there are very, very, very few companies who have, you know, who have managed to navigate the waters because it's not an easy place to work. But when you get it right, it's incredibly rewarding. And we're, you know, we are hoping to go back there time and again with plenty more shows. I mean, as I say, we are talking to a lot of the uh, the new streamers over there, as well as um, you know, a lot of the, the the families who run those streamers. So we are hoping that next time we speak, David, we will have 30 series in India and <laughs> elsewhere. You know, we've also been we've also been you know we've been doing some work in Mexico and we've been talking to some Brazilians as well. So and you know and again Europe because. Now, as you can hear, I did not grow up in America, but when I started my TV business and TV life in England, so we're still yeah. well placed to, you know, our intention is to be tr a truly global business because I don't think you can survive any longer in a global world with, you know, by just trying to sell to America. And the other, you know, that's one of the reasons why we got into sport is because it's one of the few things that transcends boundaries. You know, you, yeah. You, yeah. If, if you're, you know, I mean, so you have cricket is the second most watched sport in the world. It, soccer is a long way in front. Then comes cricket. Then there's a, you know, then there's a drop off the cliff and you get to basketball. So, mm. you know, it makes perfect sense because I don't think there are too many people in Hollywood who, you know, can tell the difference between a, an off break and a leg break. I think you're safe on that one. I don't think that that anyone's going to question you in one one way or another. That's just we'll we'll take that on on its face value. So, but I do think it's smart for you all to do this. But I I think it's interesting that other people are sort of going, oh, there are cricket rights out there. There are opportunities there. There are people watching. You're doing the documentary, sort of the story behind the game. And clearly that is a form of documentary that has really blossomed, really going back to what Hoop Dreams and the 30 right. on 30 series and things like that for the last the last the three decades, really, I guess, because like Hoop Dreams is probably what, about late 80s, early 90s, if I recall. So you're, you're mining good, uh, you know, a sturdy format that always seems to have lots of uh, inherent drama. I guess in this one, it doesn't work out for the uh, the Mumbai team, but that's part of the the, Mum is it the Mumbai Indians. Is that the name of the team? Yeah, that is the name of the team. And, and unlike yeah, I mean, Cleveland, unlike Cleveland, it's not controversial for the Mumbai Indians to call themselves the team, the Indians, right? They can they can have a mascot. I call it. It's like, oh yeah, that's kind of who we are. I think at the time it was it, at the time it was much discussed, and there were other members of the same league who weren't. Um, you know, weren't so hot on wanted, it. Who wanted? Yeah, right. But but in the at the end of the day, you know, it's, Mumbai is is this sort of crazy. It's known as Maximum City, and yeah. it, you know, it, it it sort of it, it definitely is a is a sort of macrocosm of of India. It's got everything, and so yeah. you know, I think it was a fully justified name, and it's certainly done well for them. Yeah, and and it is the home of Bollywood is there. There are regional film industries throughout many major cities uh, and different language 
uh, centers uh, across India, but Bollywood, the thing we think about when we think of Bollywood is really the Mumbai scene, right? Yeah, I mean, Bollywood, Bollywood is in Mumbai. So, you know, I've, I've been to, to many a Bollywood set and you realize, I mean, I mean, I think that the, the things that people care about in India are Bollywood and cricket. And mm-hmm. we decided, as I say, that, you know, to, to work with Mumbai Indians because it encapsulates everything that Indians care about. And, mm-hmm. you know, it is a very glamorous, I mean, you know, they're all, a lot of the cricketers are married to Bollywood superstars and, it's a very uh, they are very much intertwined and so it would it made perfect sense for us to to see if you yeah. know they would be willing to open their doors to us and like i say they were very generous in doing so one of the things i think it's interesting about ipl is it's actually a very short season i recall when it when it launched i guess a decade ago now it was only like a two month season right there were like eight teams at that time and and just a, like a two month season and it was done and i thought that was really surprising but they have other yeah, a, leagues no, doing their stuff. Yeah, it's 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 it's, it's, it's basically an eight-week tournament. So you have a, a round robin where they all play each other, you know, once home and once away, and then you go into the playoffs and the knockout, which is effectively four, you know, three or four games. So mm-hmm. it is a very very quick. And and let me let me make you know, if your team comes fifth, trying to make a doc series is definitely more of a challenge than if they win it. Uh, yeah. But, you know, that that sport, you know, it's, it's the point about sports is there's so much inherent drama in it. I mean, our team who are embedded with 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 the Mumbai Indians felt it just as much as they did every time they, you know, being in a losing dressing room is absolutely like is, is just heartbreaking when you've got people who care so much about whether they win or lose. And mm-hmm. conversely, being in the winning dressing room was just. You know, it's a you get when you embed with teams like this, you just you live and die as much as they do. That six weeks was, it is a long, sorry, it's a very very short season to get an awful lot of to try and to try and get what you need. So yeah, I mean, it helps for it helps for your uh, your production costs. There's that, but um, <laughs> yes, it does. You you would would have liked the excuse to stay two more weeks, but but that all being said, uh, what was the total production grade? Was it just during the season, or did you do a lot of stuff leading up to it, or were you able to kind of get it all packed in at that short time frame? I mean, we had to get it all packed in because you know cricket as it as it gets bigger and bigger there are a whole load of new tournaments that are appearing i mean we are in discussions with the caribbean premier league who which is sure. takes place in the summer and then there's a there's a even shorter form of the game called the 100 which i think they're going to test out in england sometime next year mm-hmm. so all of these players who especially in places like the west indies and bangladesh and afghanistan you know these guys are growing up in you know less than a dollar a day and this is the one opportunity to change their family's lives mm-hmm. so you know they they disappear off to all these foreign tournaments if they get contracts and we, we you know they only they only get to india a couple of weeks before the ipl starts so they've never really mm. played any competitive cricket together as a team and mm. you know we started shooting the day they all arrived in the same dressing room there's also there's an mm. auction that takes place in you know several months before the t- tournament starts, like the draft pick, which mm-hmm. we also filmed. But mostly, yeah, we 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 hit the ground running on day one, and then you know six weeks later, 
everyone went home to the, or they move on to the next tournament i mean there's there's right. endless there's the big bash in australia there's a tournament in pakistan there's and they you know this is how they make their living and they know that by the time they're 32 33 their careers are probably over and they're no longer valued like they like they were so right. Right. you know it's a it is a business and, and it's like every sport, you know, the whole, the old line about uh, every athlete dies twice, once when their um, playing career ends and once when they die. Right. So, I mean, uh, Isn't that true? but in terms of this though, so how many episodes did you all ring out of this? How many uh, for this, this series? There are eight episodes and they all okay. are starting on March the 1st. And they, they sort of, you know, they run between 35 and 40 minutes. As I say, I mean, I think that is testament to the the team who actually produced it, and and also, as I say, to the Mumbai Indians who, you know, you, you can imagine. I mean, any team letting you behind closed doors is opening themselves up to you, you know, to their tactics being revealed, and to, you know, cricket is a is essentially a game of chess, but you know, <laughs> with a bat and a ball, it's an incredibly mm. complicated game, and. As soon as people know why you're putting someone in a certain position in the field, or why this batsman is going to bat at this number and not at that number, and so on, you know, in a limited overs game, is, you know, it's a very, it was a big risk to them that we, you know, that things could leak. And you know, India, there are a lot of people and there are a lot of ears, and there are always a lot of people hanging around. You know, one thing you can be sure of in India is a crowd because there are <laughs> 1.3 billion people there. And I right, think, uh, right. you know, they were, they were, they were, they were definitely cautious. And there were some times when they were said, you know, no, you can't come in this door because, or you can't reveal this. And that's fair enough because their core business is cricket. And, you know, it's not a, it's not making a documentary about it, but right, you know, I think right. we had a fantastic relationship with them. And, and uh, I would hope that, well, when you see it, the final episode, the final scene of the final episode sets us up perfectly for them to come back and win it next season. So that's what we're hmm. that's what we're aiming for. This feels like a, a, a big new step. I know that uh, obviously you all come from a Connie Nast comes from a magazine of, you know, the greatest magazine chain in the universe, those marquee names. And you've been trying to have a bigger web presence. People like Wired were doing it before they even became a Connie Nast publication. But now they're doing more with that. You all have done a lot of video. This, I actually guest lectured yesterday at a UCLA class and mentioned 73 questions, the Vogue show and how that format has been really popular on YouTube. But this seems like another step forward. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I think that I think that Condé Nast as a business has proved, you know, beyond doubt that we are very we have pivoted into the traditional broadcast television world very well. I mean, we have Last Chance You has been going is you know another Netflix right. series has been going very well. That was originated from a GQ.com article. And, uh, you know, we've now produced several seasons of it very successfully. We have another sh series on Netflix called Fastest Car, which is a, it's a car series that admittedly has no connection to the, any Condé Nast IP, but we, right. have, it is a con, it's a Condé Nast production that we have just finished or we're just about to finish filming season two. Which was one, and both Last Chance You and Fastest Car were two of the most binged shows on Netflix last year. So, you know, we've also got a lot of other productions up and running. 
we have a series on Vice Land called Most Expensivist with two chains, which is now into season three, I believe. So, you know, we have proved that, you know, we are a formidable force in broadcast television, off the, you know, but at the same time, we are one of the only companies that can market like if you go onto Netflix, unless you know something's there, it's you know it's it's you you can spend a while. They're launching so many new series that yeah. it's very helpful to them for us to be able to use all of our brands and all of our you know all of our digital reach to to let people know that our shows exist. I mean, we have for the cricket show, we have an article in GQ Australia with one of the players, Ben Cutting, who's married to a supermodel. So they're do Vogue Australia is doing a, a, a piece. I think some of, you know, some of our, a lot of our publications all around the world will be making sure that people know that the cricket show exists. And that's something that I don't think there's another company in Hollywood who can boast 300 million digital subscribers, which, you know, is, is not to be sniffed at. And when you said broadcast, though, I mean, obviously Netflix is not, Broadcast. It's not going over the air, over a in the traditional way. No, I mean, it's, I mean, I probably mean long form. So we're yeah. so in New York, Condé Nast Entertainment make you know produce all of their short form content for all of the the brand, magazine brands. We over in Hollywood are making all of the long form content for the streamers, broadcasts, old you know cable channels. You you name it. We'll there's someone who we think would be interested in buying a long form show, we'll sell it to them. And, you know, we also have, I mean, your point about 73 questions is that we also have all of those short form videos. We can see exactly how many people have watched them. And then we will try and work out if there's a format to be a, a traditional format, you know, traditional long form format to be made and sold to, and packaged up to sell to any of the networks. So, you know, we have a, we are very lucky. We get all of the magazine content and the magazines before they go to uh, reach the newsstands, and then we have the ability to market at the other end. And you know, to, to that ilk, we are extremely fortunate because we do have a competitive advantage over many of our, you know, many right. of our fellow producers right. in this town. So you own a bunch of IP generators, is what you're really saying, and the ability to see ahead of time. Oh, there's a a great New Yorker piece coming down that might be worth something that we could do something with, at least in a short form. On short form, you guys can track what's what's hitting and resonating. Maybe there's something we can go more in depth with and do something more like a traditional show. So that becomes a more rationalized pipeline uh, Absolutely. And content development process. Now that feels like that's relatively new for Connie Nass and certainly not done in a lot of places that just don't have that front end to work from, right? Right, I mean, yeah, absolutely. So Condé Nast Entertainment has has been going five or six years, I think, and it's, uh, I mean, I joined three years ago. Joe Labraccio, my business partner here, is he was my agent many for many years, and uh, he was hired to run this division, and uh, they were, he was then, every time he sold a piece of IP, he would have to go and find the production company to make it. So he called me and said, will you come and be the producer so that we can keep everything in-house? So we have grown, you know, in, in three years, we have, we like to think we've done, we've landed a lot of shows and made an awful lot of, you know, new series and proved that having all of this fantastic Condé Nast IP allows us to, 
you know get ahead of the marketplace and uh, yeah. and you know, to to mine we, we you know we have this fantastic pipeline that we can we can use to to make shows for for anyone and we also you know again we've all, we also specifically targeted foreign i mean i've filmed in a hundred and something countries over my 30 year career and i know a lot of people in a lot of places and with the advent of netflix and other streamers you know people care about going outside america whereas 10 years ago you know you, alaska was about as far as you could get if you worked in the unscripted world so and it was even kind of dubious about going to hawaii right because i mean alaska yes yeah, it's the same continent hawaii's out in the ocean we're not even going there right so now so it's funny right? it's funny you should say that i made a show in hawaii called maui chopper which was about a search and rescue company who who save all of the you know the surfers who get caught in waves and they put out fires uh -huh. and we pitched it to a network who shall remain unnamed who had asked <laughs> us for, for a blue collar uh, american show that was dangerous and i said here you go here is a blue collar american show that is dangerous so, yeah yeah that's why that's not america oh, okay. gosh. That's but joe and i are absolutely you know cock a hoop that uh, that there are these net that streamers now who care about the rest of the world because it's fantastic you know it's great for business and it just means that there is the, these there are these great opportunities to tell incredible stories in countries like india and we we love it and we are we hope there will be many many more series to make there so that's our show thanks to alexander edgington of condi nast for the conversation and thanks so much to you for for listening Drop me a line at davidbloomanla at gmail.com and follow me on Twitter and LinkedIn. If you like the show, please rate, review, and share the podcast. It makes a big difference with the magic algorithm box. Thanks as well to our sponsors who help make all this go. Have a great week and keep plugging. Spring's almost here with its promise of hope and renewal. It's going to be a great year. This is David Bloom, over and out. You've been listening to Bloom in Tech. I am your host, David Bloom. Thanks so much. And our podcast has been sponsored in this episode by Fabric Media in Venice, California. Take care, everyone.